Good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 90. We'll be in verse 12. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. This morning I'll be preaching a sermon in light of the new year. And I don't usually title sermons, but I did title this one. And here it is. Happy New Year. We are all going to die. Now, that's not a threat. I'm not going to do anything wild, obviously. It's not a threat, but it's a fact. We're all going to die. And the sooner we reckon with that fact, the better off we will be spiritually. Here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. How would you live today if you believed that you would die tomorrow? I know that's kind of a cliche question, but I want you to honestly consider that. How would you live today if you believed that you would die tomorrow? It would change things. I know that for sure. You would live as if eternity was real because it would be breathing down your neck. Your head would become incredibly clear with regard to what does and does not matter. I hope that you would live as if you were about to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you would live as if you were about to take the step into eternity because that's what you would be getting ready to do. I hope that you would live wisely, focusing on what matters from an eternal perspective, that is from God's perspective. But really, and and truthfully, tomorrow could be the day that you die. It could be today. It could be today. And if not today or tomorrow, I promise you that the day of your death is coming at you much faster than you think. It's coming much, much faster than you think. In general, you never hear of people saying, I had enough time and I'm out of here. Right? You never hear that. But what you do hear are many stories of people near to death saying, I thought I would have more time. Even if they're in their 80s or 90s, I thought I would have more time. Death waits for no man. Death comes as God wills it. Death must obey the Lord. And death is coming for each one of us sooner than we would like to think. You know, just in the last two weeks, I have heard of no less than than five local people dying. Among them were an old man in his 70s or 80s, a young man in Pike County of the age of 22, and a little girl of the age of six, all local. No man can know when he will die, only that he will die. In 2022, there were about 141,000 deaths in the state of Ohio. In the United States, there were about 3.3 million deaths And worldwide, there were about 70 million deaths. That's about two deaths every second. It's actually a little more than that. It's like 2.4 or 2.2 deaths per second. I found a website that took averages and put them on a clock of sorts that counted it all. uh, And the world clock made my stomach turn. The number just kept turning over and over and over. And every number was another soul that had stepped into eternity. And most of them did so without Christ. And many of them did so having no idea that the day of death was coming so soon. For me personally, these are the things that are usually on my mind with the coming of a new year. I don't know about you, but these are the things on my mind. I've lived another year, and who knows how many more I have left. Maybe this year will be the year. Maybe 50 years from now. God alone knows. But I do know this. Death is coming for me, and it's coming for you, and it is bringing eternity with it. Now, some would call me grim and dark and morbid, right, as if I have like a fascination with death for thinking about these things. But the Word of God calls it wise. We would all do well to reflect on the truth that we will die sooner rather than later. And not, not to discount eternal things, but I heard a man say something once that made me laugh, but it's true. I'm going to be dead a whole lot longer than I was alive. There's truth there. And that's why I've chosen Psalm 90, verse 12 for my text this morning. I hope that by God's grace, he will teach us to number our days. 
and teaching us that he would grant us wisdom to live for what matters in the coming year and in, pre- and in preparation for the day of our deaths. So may God put his blessing on the preaching of his word this morning. And with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the word of God. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let me read that one more time. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come before you now asking for help. Please grant that we would receive your word with faith this morning and make us wise. Help us to believe your word and live in light of it. Help us to see that, God, that will only happen if you teach us and grant us spiritual sight. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would set your word home to our hearts this morning. Teach us. Grant us faith to believe your word. Sanctify us by your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. This verse is a prayer. So teach us. It's a prayer. Really, as the superscription tells us at the beginning of Psalm 90, this whole psalm is a prayer. A prayer of Moses. But here Moses prays and asks God to teach us to number our days. Now, if nothing else, and by the way, this sermon is very simple. If nothing else, the first thing that this verse does is remind us that our days are numbered, doesn't it? If we are to number them, they are indeed numbered. We will not live forever, at least not in this body and in this world as it currently is. You know, when I was a little boy, my grandfather would often tell me that we die a little more each day. You tell me that. I was like seven or eight years old. You know, David, you're dying today. You know, you died yesterday a little bit. You know, with every minute that passes, you're a little bit closer to your own grave, right? He would tell me that every day brought us closer to death and that every baby is born to die. That is, that's a fact. But sadly, a lot of people do not talk to children this way. I remember my niece, Natalie, talking to her dance instructor about her pet dying a couple of years ago. And in the course of the conversation, she said, I'm going to die someday too. And her dance instructor said, oh, no, honey, you won't. And she said, yes, I will. Everyone has to die. Natalie stood her ground. Good honor. This is just the way things are. Brothers and sisters, we are passing away every day. We are here for but a brief time, and then we vanish from the earth. We are here, as Moses tells us in verse 10, and as we sang in Psalm 90, we are here for 70 or maybe 80 years by reason of strength. What does that mean? If God makes your body strong, if God grants you a long life, maybe 80 years. And that may sound like a long time for those of us who who are young. But ask anyone in this room who is 50 or 60 years old, and they will tell you that 70 or 80 years is not a long time. I'll, I'll tell you that it's not a long time. I'm not trying to speak beyond my years or speak beyond my wisdom, but I'll be 31 years old in two weeks. And according to this psalm, my life is almost half over. And it did not take long to get here. It did not take long to get here. Our time on earth is a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. It's a mist. It is a vapor. We will all return to the dust from which man was made, as verse 3 tells us. As verses 5 and 6 say, we are like grass that is renewed in the morning, but withers away in the evening. You're like grass that's here for 12 hours. That's what we are. As James 4.14 says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We are here today gone tomorrow. This is a huge theme of the entire psalm that leads us up to verse 12. But we have to ask, why do we die? Why do we die? Because of God's wrath. That's why we die. Verses 7 through 11 says, I'll read them to you, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It is because of God's wrath that we must die. But why is God so angry? Right? Why does God have wrath against mankind? Why are we born with the sentence of death hanging above us? Well, as Moses says, because of sin. You've set our iniquities before your face. It is because of sin that we die. By the sin of our first parents in the Garden of Eden, guilt for sin and a sinful nature has come to each one of us. And by our own actual sins that we grow up to commit, even further guilt has come upon us. We are sinners in Adam, born sinners, and then become actual sinners. And so we all must die. As the apostle says in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Both in body and soul, we must die. Both physically and then spiritually under the eternal wrath of God, if left in our state, we must die because of our sins. We die here and then have to face the judgment of God where we will be found guilty and consigned to an eternity of condemnation and wrath from God because we have offended against his holy law. But before we go any further, I must say this to you, and I'm chomping at the bit to get to this. In spite of our sin and justly deserving damnation, God offers salvation to sinners. In grace upon grace that we will never fully fathom, now or in eternity, he offers salvation to sinners that we might avoid the wrath to come. God has sent his only begotten son into the world as we have celebrated last week. Truly God and truly man to bear the weight of the wrath of God in place of all who would trust in him. Our Lord Jesus Christ went to a cross by the will of God in order to suffer the wrath and judgment and punishment that we deserve for our sins. He took them upon himself. And then by his blood, by his suffering and death as a substitute in our place, was punished as if he had committed our sins. And in doing so, he made an atonement on our behalf that we might be reconciled to God. Oh, please hear me. Divine justice has been served on Christ. The payment for sin has been made by him for all who will come to him in faith. As we often sing in one of my favorite hymns of all time. But on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Amen. And then as proof that the forgiveness of sins has been accomplished for all who believe, God raised his son from the dead on the third day. And now, oh, please hear me. Don't tune this out. You need this more than anything else I'm going to tell you. God offers eternal salvation to all, all, all who will repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. In his great kindness toward wicked and undeserving men, for you deserve nothing good from him, and neither do I. In his great kindness, he has provided a way of salvation for us. And that salvation from the eternal wrath of God is found only in Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior of sinners. And God, again, offers this salvation to each and every sinner. Christ did this work for all who will believe. Hear me, you will die because of sin, but you do not have to go to hell if you will only look to Christ and believe God's promise to save you because of what Christ has done on your behalf. I beg you, I know not everyone in this room is a Christian. Don't be a fool. I'm not trying to insult you. But your death is coming. And you must be reconciled to God or you will suffer an eternity of punishment. You can say that you think it's nonsense. Preacher, I've heard this all before. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. Your opinion will not change this. Be reconciled to God through Christ. 
God is so kind that he has brought you into an assembly of his people today so that even today he might offer you Christ as your Savior again. Look to him in faith and live. Live. Why will you perish? Why will you perish when he's offering you this? Why would you die in your sins when he's offering you salvation from your sins? God offers eternal salvation to those who turn to Christ in faith. But nevertheless, all men being tainted by sin must still die once in the body. He offers salvation, but yet we still must die once in the body. But those who are made right with God through faith in Christ will receive the salvation of their souls at death and then the redemption of their bodies on the last day when Christ returns. Jesus came to save us from our sins in every way. But again, though that is all glorious and true, all men must still die. Please listen to me very closely. I am laboring this point on purpose. Everyone, male and female, young and old, you will die. We know this by experience, looking around at the world, and the word of God affirms to us in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We all die, and after death, there is another life of either eternal splendor and joy with God, or an existence of eternal suffering in a lake of fire. But we don't think much about that truth. And we certainly don't usually live like that's true. But we should. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. That leaps off the page every time that I read that. What, what, what's Solomon saying here? He says it's better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. It's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. It's better to go to a funeral than an anniversary celebration. Why? Because the funeral is where we're all going to end up. And we need to lay that truth to heart. We must consider our deaths. We're fools if we don't. But most people are fools. And sadly, this includes many Christians at times. We're sinners just like everyone else. We don't always consider our own mortality, and so we often find ourselves living for things that don't really matter. Such people are living foolishly. They're living as if they'll be here forever, or as if there is no life to come after this one. And it's because of our human foolishness that our text says we need to learn to number our days. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to number our days? I think this, this phrase is packed full of stuff. It's pregnant with meaning. It means that we are to think deeply about our own mortality and why we are on this earth. To, to number our days means to evaluate the use of our time in light of the brevity of life. To number your days is to keep your coming death on the forefront of your mind so that you do not waste your life. To number our days means to ask ourselves daily, does it matter? What I'm doing, does it matter? I'll be gone soon. What am I doing with my life? It will all soon be over. Am I ready to meet the Lord? Am I living for what matters eternally? Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize every day how fleeting and transient our lives are, and then we need to seriously consider how we are living in light of that. We need to learn to live as if this day could be our last day because we know that our days are numbered, but we cannot know when the last one will come. And to live with the knowledge that today could be our last day will cause us to live differently. It will. It will cause us to live differently. But let me pose a question to you. Do you do this? Do you number your days? Honestly, do you number your days? Or, like many, do you just mindlessly go through each day without a thought to eternity? 
without a thought to future rewards, without a thought to future judgment, without a thought that everyone you know is just as mortal as you. Though you would never say it out loud or even to yourself because you're not a total fool and neither am I. Though we would never say it out loud or even say it to ourselves, do you nevertheless live as if you'll be here forever? Do you waste your days in things that simply won't matter 10,000 years from now? That's one of the most helpful phrases I ever heard a preacher say. How you're living now, will it matter in 10,000 years? The things that you're devoting yourself to now, will they matter in 10,000 years? That is a great question. It is absolutely necessary for us to learn to number our days. But notice this. We don't just need to try to do this. If we read the text carefully, we see something. While it will take some conscious mental effort, nevertheless, this is not something that you can just white-knuckle yourself into doing. You can't. This verse is a prayer. What's Moses say? So teach us to number our days. Who's going to do the teaching? God, of course. The one who needs taught doesn't do the teaching. You're not going to teach yourself this. This is a petition to God. He's the one being addressed throughout the psalm. So this verse is a petition to God to teach us something in our own hearts. So then we must pray for God to give us the wisdom, to teach us to number our days. We have to ask him to put these things on our minds and in our hearts. We have to ask him to help us to evaluate our lives each day. Simply put, we can't do this on our own. God must help us. One of the most humbling things you can do is get on your knees before the Lord and say, God, I'm ignorant and I need you to teach me. I'm ignorant and I need you to teach me how to number my days. Again, we can't work this up naturally. Hear me out. We are, we are so immersed in our day-to-day -day responsibilities, many of which are legitimate, right? You got to take care of stuff, right? I'm not taking away from that. Our vocations are, are legitimate. We are so immersed in our day-to-day -day responsibilities that considering our deaths does not naturally happen. In the last week, did you ever sit down and really ponder, I'm going to die soon? Probably not. We get so immersed in everything. And so what do we need? We need God himself to remind us of our own mortality and what really matters in life and in death. In short, we need God to help us to number our days because we are so prone to forget to number them. We are prone to forget that our lives are running out. Again, we get busy. We get caught up in work and kids and plans and home improvements and family problems and health issues and pleasure seeking and all the rest. And we simply forget. I'm not making excuses for us. I'm just highlighting the reality of the situation. We're often dumb and we forget that we won't be here forever. And so we live without a thought to eternity. And as, please hear me, as with all works of godliness and numbering your days is one of them because you're commanded to do it, God himself must help us. As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.13, God must work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God must teach us this. God must do something. You know, I, I came across a, a kind of an extended quote from John Calvin on this, and I thought it was excellent. I want to share it with you. John Calvin was commenting uh, about how men are terrible at numbering their days, and he says this. Pay attention. Even he who is most skillful in arithmetic and who can precisely and accurately understand and investigate millions of millions is nevertheless unable to count 70 years in his own life. It is surely a monstrous thing that men can measure all distances around themselves, that they know how many feet the moon is distant from the center of the earth, what space there is between the different planets, and in short, that they can measure all the dimensions both of heaven and earth while they cannot number 70 years in their own case. It is therefore evident that Moses had good reason to beseech God for ability to perform what requires wisdom, which is very rare among mankind. What's he saying? We can count everything, but we can't count 70 years. We can do all kinds of mathematics, but we can't count 70 years for ourselves. 
And since this wisdom is so scarce among men, Moses was right to beseech the Lord and say, teach me how to count. Brothers and sisters, we need God's help or we won't do this. We will focus on anything other than the shortness of our lives. We will, I'm convinced of this, we do this all the time. We will subconsciously lie to ourselves. We are so sinful that we will deceive ourselves into subconsciously believing that we will live forever. And so doing, we will never think about eternal things. And so we must cry out daily to the Lord that he might remind us that our time is short and eternity is long. And know this, I want to encourage you in your prayers. God will help you. How do I know that? He's generous and he loves to give wisdom. Hear James. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask him to teach you, and he will teach you. We must cry out to God as Jonathan Edwards did, and say, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's a prayer. That, that's Psalm 90, verse 12 in, in John Edwards' own language. Stamp eternity on my eyes. God must help us, and so we must ask. And as our brother James reminds us again, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask him to teach you. Please, I, I beg you, a brief application point already. Commit yourself to praying through this verse on a regular basis. Commit yourself to this. It's recorded for us to sing and for us to pray. That's why God gave it to us. So use this verse and this psalm rightly and cry out to God daily. Teach me to number my days. Obey the text and make it your prayer. Now we come to the, the reason that we want God to teach us to number our days. Our text says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If by God's grace we learn to number our days, we will become wise. And that means we'll live wisely. Wisdom is knowledge and application. It's knowledge applied. We will live differently if we become wise. We will live in a manner that pleases the Lord, and that's what we want. We want this kind of wisdom. But, but this tells us something important, and I, I don't mean to labor the point, but I, I do think that this needs briefly mentioned in an explicit way. If we do not learn to number our days, we will be fools. If numbering your days gets you a heart of wisdom, then not numbering your days makes you a fool. What I mean is this, we will be no different than the unbeliever on a day-to-day -day basis if we don't learn to number our days. Our lives will not look much different. And to go one step further, if a person doesn't number their days at all, then such a person is an unbeliever. <laughs> because such a person has not yet considered the judgment and eternity to come and cannot have fled to Christ for salvation. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be this kind of fool. We must number our days. But if God teaches us to number our days, again, we will become wise. That is, if we will listen to his word... If we will cry out to him and ask for him to teach us, if we will listen to him and take to heart what he says about our mortality and what matters in life and death, then we will become wise. Wise with regard to what, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Wise with regard to how you live every day. He will give you wisdom to live by his priorities or to speak more biblically we will receive wisdom to live each day in the fear of the Lord. There it is. This is a subject that doesn't get talked about much in American evangelicalism. We will receive wisdom to live every day in the fear of the Lord. Now what does that mean then, to live in the fear of the Lord? Bear with me, I have an extended answer. It is recognizing who God is and who you are in light of him. That you are nothing compared to him. That you exist solely for the praise of his name. And to do his will with your entire life. For he alone is God. And therefore he alone is what ultimately matters. The fear of the Lord is recognizing that you were made for him. And every beat of your heart is supposed to bring him glory. It is having continual reverence for God. 
living with an eye to him in all things, living in a state of mind where you exchange your wants, attitudes, goals, whatever, for his, for he is God and you are his creature. To live in the fear of the Lord is to live with a daily recognition that he is the one to whom we have to give an account, Hebrews 4.13. It's to live with a daily knowledge of the truth that you will one day give an account to God for how you lived. To live in the fear of the Lord is to know and live as if the eye of God is always upon you, even when you are hidden from all others. It's to live knowing that his smile is worth more than the smile of the world, and that so long as he smiles upon you, it does not matter if the whole world frowns. To live in the fear of the Lord is to live knowing that there is an eternity after this life to be either gained with God or lost in hell. It is to know that God is supreme, that he alone is greater than all, and ought to be the one you live for with singular devotion and then living like it. That is the fear of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is wisdom. True wisdom is forsaking all false notions of human autonomy and focusing on God, his will, and eternal matters. If we get this wisdom, if we learn to number our days, we will begin to live with true purpose. True purpose. Hear me, please. I used to be an atheist. There's no purpose apart from God. I'm not talking about a worldly purpose that you made for yourself that is a vapor and does not actually objectively matter, but is relative but a true purpose that has eternal ramifications. We will begin to live in light of eternity. We will begin to live in light of the next 10,000 years instead of the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, or even the next decade. Surely we would all agree that this is the way to live. Surely we would all agree that this is wisdom. Oh, may we cry out to God for help to number our days. And may we take heed to his word and live in the fear of him all of our days. But here's the real question. I've only talked about things in theory so far. What does this look like practically? How might we live differently if we were to gain hearts of wisdom? How might we live differently if we truly learn to number our days? Or to set it home more closely... How will you then live? How, are you, how will you then live now in light of everything that's been said so far? I, I want to now set some things before you to consider for the coming year. We're going to camp out here for a minute. Consider for the coming year and really for the rest of your life, I hope. Things, things to commit yourself to in light of the reality of eternity and our soon coming deaths. And a brief note here, this short list I've made is by no means exhaustive, like at all. We could, I, I could have come up with a thousand pieces of application for this, I'm sure, if I had enough time and enough will to do so. I've simply thought of some broad categories that I want to set before you that I know that all of us uh, can shore up. Seven things. First and foremost, first and foremost... If you understand that life is short and eternity is long, you will run to Christ. I have said it already, but I must say it again. God offers salvation from his eternal wrath for all who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has borne the punishment that each of us deserves for our sins. He has satisfied divine justice on behalf of all who will believe, and he has been raised from the dead as the proof he is the Son of God, and He alone can save sinful men. God offers only one way of forgiveness and eternal life, and in the words of Jesus, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. Please hear me. If you know you're a sinner and deserve the wrath of God, if you know that your, your life is but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow, and if you know that eternity is longer than you can fathom, then you must run to Christ in faith. You must. 
Anything less than this is the height of foolishness and will end in your eternal destruction. And I do not say that with any glee. I say that as a dying man preaching to another dying man or woman begging you to come to Christ. You must. Your time is running out. But today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the devil's day. You don't know if you'll have tomorrow. You may not have an hour after this service is over. You may not have the rest of this service. I don't know. I'm not God. But I know that now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. God offers you right now eternal life in Jesus Christ. You say, what must I do then? Look. Look to him. Look to Christ and be saved. Trust God's promise about him. Entrust yourself, as Paul says, to Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. Believe that he has done enough to save you and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I now turn my attention to those who have already come to Christ. Who are already numbered among his people. For the rest of these points. If we understand, second point, if we understand that our lives are short, and that living a life pleasing to the Lord is all that truly matters. We will dedicate ourselves to mastering the word of God to the best of our abilities. Yeah, we will devote ourselves to reading, hearing, and meditating on his word. Right, shocker, the preacher's telling you to read your Bible. And catch this. Oh, please hear me. Please hear me. We will not do this to just fill our heads and give us something to talk about with our fellow Christians. God save us from that. I'm prone to that. That's not why we'll do it. The word of God is so much more than that. It's worth so much more than that. And it was given for so much more than that. Rather, we will devote ourselves to the scriptures so that we can know how God would have us live. We need divine wisdom. We need divine revelation if we are to know the mind of the Lord so as to live in a way that makes him smile upon us. And we need to know how to live if we are to be prepared to meet him. And so what must we know? The book. We must know the book. Christian, devote yourself to the Bible. Devote yourself to the Bible. Read it. Read it. If you're not a strong reader, have someone read it to you. Call me. I'll read it to you. Or, or, or have a device read it to you. I'll pay for your subscription. Have a device read it, read it for you. You know, a quick aside here. I have people ask me all the time. I'm going off my notes. It might get rough. <laughs> people say, David, will you pray for me that I would be in the word more? And I do. And I'm not mocking anyone who's ever asked me that. I do. I pray that maybe more than almost anything. That's so common. Pray for me that I would be in the Word. Pray for me that I would be like uh, uh, get through my Bible in a year or whatever. And there's no command that you have to read your Bible once a year, but it's a good practice. Can I put this to you? We all right. We're Americans. We want we want the magic silver bullet. We want the trick. Oh, I'm going to try this Bible reading plan. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try. There's no trick. Sit down and open the book. What's your Bible reading plan, Dave? I pick a book of the Bible and I read four chapters a day until I finish that book, and then I pick another book and do it again. I'm not saying everyone has to be like me. What I'm saying is what it comes down to is, are you going to sit down and do it or not? Do you, do you really believe that you need to know how to live? Then read the book or listen to it read. I'm not, I hope you don't think I'm being harsh. I just want you to know all the plans in the world won't help you if you are not dedicated to sitting down and just doing it. Read the word, hear the word. Check this. Think about the sermons that you hear preached. Think about the sermons you hear preached. Meditate on the preached word. As some of the Reformed confessions rightly say, the, the right preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Meditate on what you've heard preached. Seek to, to master the word and be mastered by it so that you believe, think, and do as God would have you. Life is short. We are ignorant. Death is coming. And we need to know how to live before we die. So then, as Isaiah says, to the word and to the testimony... Open the book and read it. Or as Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. A third point. 
If we have numbered our days and recognize our human frailty and mortality, we will devote ourselves to prayer. Why? Because we know that we are nothing and we are weak. We know because of our mortality that we are dependent upon God for everything. We will commit ourselves to seeking God's face and mercy in prayer because we know we can do nothing in ourselves. We will devote ourselves to intercessory prayer. That's praying for others. Praying for others. For only God can help the mist and vapor that is mankind. We will cry out for God to have mercy on the unbelieving. For their lives are short and eternity will soon be upon them as well. We will ask the Lord to make us holy and sanctify us and our brothers and sisters so that we might honor him in all things before we die. We'll ask the Lord to grow his church and convert his people for only he can save sinners from hell. We we, we will pray for peace in our land that we might do our duty to God and obey him without the hardship of persecution. Why? Because whether or not they persecute, we will do our duty, but we'd rather do it in an easier way. We will cry out for divine wisdom because we want to live a blameless life before God, before meeting him. If we realize that we are weak and soon fading men, we will call upon the name of the Lord for everything. Brothers and sisters, our mortality should remind us that we are weak. The fact that you can't control when you die should remind you that you don't control anything. But that God does. And that fact should put us on our knees before Almighty God, asking Him daily for strength and grace for ourselves and others. Christian, you're a mist. So devote yourself to prayer. Fourth, if we have numbered our days, we will give ourselves over to the work of evangelism. Why? Because having numbered your days, you see that the days of all men are numbered and they're going to die as well. And eternity awaits them too. Oh, please hear me. We're awful at this, aren't we? We will declare Christ to any and all who will listen to us speak his holy name. We will tell of sin, wrath, judgment, mercy, grace, the cross, the resurrection, and the Savior to everyone who will hear it. We will declare the message of redemption to sinners if we have truly numbered our days. Why? Because we know that they will die as well as we. They need the Savior just as much as we do. We dare not hoard Christ for ourselves. He came to save an innumerable multitude. And we do not want any man to stand before God without Christ. So as God gives us ability and as God gives us opportunity, we will give ourselves over to the declaration of the gospel for time is running out for all men. Fifth, if we have numbered our days, oh, hear me, please. If we have numbered our days, we will commit ourselves to teaching our children. Teaching our children the way of the Lord. We know that our children's days are numbered the same as ours. This is an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? Our children's children's days are numbered just as much as ours. They will soon die, and they need to know the fear of the Lord. They need to know Christ as Savior and Lord just as much as we do. But they, like all of us, are naturally ignorant of the things of God, and they need instructed just as we do. Mom and Dad, please listen to me. You will not be here forever. You will not be here forever. You won't always be around to teach them. Furthermore, they won't always be in your house for you to teach them. You won't always be around to instruct them in the faith and in salvation through Jesus Christ. So if you know that not only you, but they also are dying each day, you will teach them. You will dedicate yourself to giving them a religious education. You will commit yourself to family worship to raising them to know and love and fear the Lord with whom they one day have to settle accounts. Oh, and please hear me, they'll learn. I was with the toddler class today. The oldest kid was four years old. We ran through the first 24 questions of the children's catechism. They all knew them. If you teach them, they will learn. 
That does not mean that they will necessarily be converted. But they will learn. Teach them and let the Lord do the work through his word. Brothers and sisters, if we have numbered our days, we will raise our children as if they're going to die because they're going to. God willing, your babies will bury you, but someone will someday bury them too, and they need to be ready to meet Christ. So teach them. Sixth, if we have numbered our days, we will personally, each one of us, strive to live a holy life. We will be earnest to kill our sin and practice righteousness as the word of God instructs us. We will live as if God sees all things. Why? Because he does. And we'll live as if we one day have to face him and give an account for literally everything. Because we will. I'm not denying justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But what do we know? We also know believers will still have to give an account of some sort. How that works out? Not exactly sure. Bible doesn't give me a ton of information. The Bible does say we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone and his righteousness alone. But yes, we will still have to give an account of some kind. So let me ask you this. Do you want to be ashamed to any degree on that great day? This is a question the Puritans would pose to their fellow Christians. And this is piercing. Do you want to have to give an account for ungodliness that you could have avoided? Do, do you want to give an account for holding grudges while the Lord forgave you? Do you want to give an account for greed while the Lord gave you everything you have? Do you want to give an account for living in anger while the Lord has called you to peace? Do you want to give an account for impure thoughts while the Spirit of the Lord dwelled within you? Do you want to stand before the Lord and give an account for sin? Surely not. None of us do. So let us live in such a way that we will not be ashamed to meet our Lord when we stand before his judgment throne. Furthermore, we want eternal rewards, don't we? Some people say, no, no, you're not supposed to think about the rewards you'll get because that makes them impure. Jesus says to, to live in light of the rewards. You want eternal rewards, don't you? He promises them to the pious, to the godly. Catch this. I, I don't understand this. I'm, I'm Cards on the table here. I don't understand this portion of theology. Jesus offers us some kind of reward in addition to salvation for those who are faithful. I don't know what that is. I don't know what gets better uh, than being saved. But he promises something, and I know he's not a liar. So some kind of eternal reward awaits the faithful servant. Listen, let me put this to you positively. Do you want to give up eternal reward in order to hold on to some kind of foolish living for 70 or 80 years? Surely not. Surely not. We want the praise of God for eternity. So even for the Christian, we must live as those who will one day give an account to God. And that day will soon be here. And seventh and lastly, if we have numbered our days, we will dedicate ourselves to being as helpful as we can to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Or to put it in another way, you'll be a good church member. You'll be a good church member. You'll seek ways to find to be you'll, you'll seek to find ways to be a blessing to the household of faith. You'll seek to be as kind and good and faithful and helpful to the well-being of your brothers and sisters for whom the Lord Jesus gave his life. You know, J Jesus promises to reward those who give even a cup of cold water to one of his people for his sake. Read Matthew 10, 42. You help your brothers and sisters, he says, oh, there's reward in that. These are the people that we're going to be with forever. These are the people we're going to spend eternity with. Love them now. <laughs> Love them now. Help them now. Why? Not just, not just for reward, not taken away from that. Not just for an eternal reward. But listen, have you ever thought about this? When you love your brothers and sisters who are dying as well as you, you're doing them eternal good. How? You're helping them walk home. You're helping them walk home. That's what you do. Whenever, you're, whenever you give counsel or, or rebuke, or encouragement, or you, you teach, or you correct, or, or help, even help financially, right, so that they're not just bogged down. And When you help your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're helping them get home. You're doing eternal good to the brethren. Have you ever considered that? When you're a good church member to your fellow church members, you're helping them eternally. 
And if we have numbered our days, we know that making it to Christ, persevering in the faith, is the goal. And so we will help one another to reach the goal. If we've numbered our days, we will seek to do eternal good to our brothers and sisters by helping them. I could go on with other things, but that's going to be enough for this morning. But what I want you to see is that those who have been taught by God to number their days, those who have been made wise by the Lord, will spend their days differently. Yes, there's still monotonous, day-to-day, legitimate, normal things of life that must be tended to, but our sights will be set on something much higher, much higher than the things of this short life and soon-fading world. If we have numbered our days, we will think of ourselves differently. Oh, please hear me. We will not think primarily of ourselves as assembly line workers or CPAs or business owners or teachers or clerks or laborers or pastors or even parents or grandparents or anything else. Instead, we will think of ourselves as dying men who are living for something better and greater than this world. We will think of ourselves as dying men who have an eternity to gain or lose. We will think of ourselves as dying men who are passing through this world and looking for a heavenly city. So in conclusion, dear congregation, number your days. Number your days. Ask the Lord to help you to number them. Get a heart of wisdom and live for what matters. Be prepared to die Be prepared to meet Christ. Live for what matters. And please, I I am here at the end of the sermon. I will not extend this out forever. Please do something with this. Don't sit there and nod your heads and say, oh man, that was good. Don't come up to me after the service and say, man, that was a good sermon. And then do nothing. Have you come to Christ? If not, do not delay. Come to him. Do you commit yourself to the word? If not, commit yourself to mastering the word. Are you a person of prayer? If not, commit yourself to prayer. You get what I'm getting at. Do something with this. Do something with it. Live as those who have been made wise by God through his word. And if you are not yet wise, cry out to him for wisdom until he gives it. Brothers and sisters, number your days. Pray for a heart of wisdom and live as dying men. May God teach each one of us to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for your word. Give us wisdom. For the unbelievers among us, God, I pray that you might grant them to run to Christ. Grant them to see their sin and the great love of God displayed in Christ Jesus. Let them run to him. For those of us who have already come to Christ, God, teach us to live the way we ought. Teach us to live as dying men who will not be here much longer. Help us to live for the glory of Christ. Help us to say with the poet, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ shall last. Give us wisdom, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.